you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to Mark chapter 8, verses 14 through 21. Mark 8, 14 through 21. Uh, if you happen to be visiting with us, we're just making our way straight through uh, the Gospel of Mark. And among the little summaries of what's going on in Mark's Gospel that we've reviewed together Many times is one written by a uh, New Testament scholar named Rodney Decker, who uh, most of you will be familiar with this, but I just remind you of it because there, our passage this morning is a particularly good little summary of the two pieces of what Mark, Rodney Decker says you should find or that you should be looking for when you're going through Mark's gospel. Here's what he wrote. Mark's purpose is related to discipleship. He works it out paragraph by paragraph by challenging his readers to answer two intertwined questions. Who is Jesus? And what does he expect from those who follow him? Two intertwined questions. Who is Jesus? And what does he expect from those who follow him? Well, those two questions are both really right at the heart of Mark 8, uh, verses 14 to 21, as I think we'll understand clearly by the time we work our way through this passage this morning. Let's stand together and I'll read those uh, verses and then we'll remain standing for prayer. Now they had forgotten to bring bread and they had only one loaf with them in the boat And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve, and the seven for the four thousand. How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we rejoice and we exalt 
in you. As we have already been doing together this morning, we sing praises to your name, for you are the Most High. You promised to turn back the enemies of your people, to cause the enemies of your people to stumble and to perish ultimately before you. Because you do justice and you judge fairly. You sit upon a throne judging the world righteously. You rebuke the nations. You destroy the wicked. You blot out the name of the wicked in the end, forever. But your enemies are there. They will forever be turned back, but they are there. Lord, you will ultimately destroy the memory of such. For you sit enthroned, being made firm to judge upon your throne. Lord, you judge the world in righteousness. And we thank you, Lord, that you are sovereign in the world. For right now, the world is quite a dangerous place. with A great deal of uncertainty as to what may spin out of events unfolding in the Middle East. Nations on alert. Nations warned around the world of trouble in this way and that. The world is always a dangerous place, because, but sometimes, sometimes, it becomes so evidently a dangerous place. And we live in such times in these days. We ask, Lord, that you would judge the world in righteousness, that you would oversee the peoples, all of them, everywhere, with uprightness. And Lord, we thank you that you are a stronghold for all the oppressed. You are a stronghold for people, for us, for your people, in times of trouble. So enable us to be those in these days who trust in you, who know your name and rest in it and upon it. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. I've mentioned many times before in my younger 
years, I was easily classifiable among the slower learners. Um, uh, eventually, they, they, they figured out, they, I got diagnosed with something called dyslexia, which tends to make you not such of a great reader uh, when, you're, uh, when you're small. Um, uh, but in any case, very, very clearly, you know, sort of classified among the slow learners. And some of you, you fall into that uh, category as well, and others of you uh, definitely don't. But one of the things that's kind of heartening in the New Testament is that the New Testament makes it plain that as Jesus chooses his disciples, it was nothing like him going out on a talent search for the best and the brightest. That's simply not at all what it was. In fact, through the observation of those that he chose to be the 12, uh, they tend to be quite middle-of-the-road sorts of people. Certainly not of anything like exceptional intellect. Now, the Apostle Paul, who did not fall into that category, the Apostle Paul was clearly among the best and the brightest and says as much about himself several different places as he gives his testimony in the epistles and as he gives his testimony in the book of Acts, yet, yet he notices, he notices this tendency not only among Jesus in choosing disciples, but with God in electing people for himself, that not many of them, not many of them are chosen out of the best and the brightest. Here's how he put it, 1 Corinthians 1, 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world. Shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast before him. Um, Now, the disciples never are presented as being in any kind of trouble because of intellectual incapacity. That's never their trouble. It's not their trouble in this text. They're often in trouble, spiritually speaking, but it's never. It's never due to the fact that they were middle of the road. It's never due to the fact that they were of the common sort. It's never primarily their lack of intellectual giftedness or capacity, but always, 
much more related to something like just the indifference of their spiritual outlook, uh, their tendency to be distracted into the wrong directions, to be asking the wrong questions. And that's where we find them, very much in our text for this morning. Uh, Almost, I think, comical, the exchange that takes place in this paragraph between Jesus and and the disciples. And what's comical about them is that they're human like us, and they have the same tendencies that we do. And as we watch them, we get to smile at ourselves, for we tend to be just like this. Verse 14, now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And Jesus cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not understand? Your hearts... Have they been hardened? Having ears do you not see? Having eyes do you not or ears do you not eyes do you not see? Ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? And then he goes on and talks about the feeding of the five thousand, the feeding of the four thousand, and then finishes all off. Do you not understand? I state our thesis for this morning simply this way. We are prone to fail to learn, to trust God. And that happens because we are prone to fail to listen to God. We are prone to fail to wait the words of Jesus in anything like an appropriate manner which is what we watch them do, fail to do, in this text. So we'll look at it from three angles. Number one, beware of allowing circumstances to distract from listening to God. This is where the story begins, verse 14. Now they had forgotten bread, and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. That's when Jesus gives them their warning. But in the warning, he mentions leaven. Uh, And in mentioning leaven, he puts them right back on bread. Even though the leaven that he mentions had nothing to do with bread, now they're right back on bread where they were before. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. Uh, In other words, they've just allowed themselves to become... Laser focused on a completely trivial 
matter. Uh, I don't know how much bread they meant to bring, uh, but way more than one loaf, and they ended up only bringing one loaf. And so you can sort of picture them. Oh, man, we forgot the bread. Oh, I knew we were going to forget the bread. We're always forgetting the bread. Right? That's what we talk to ourselves. It's just like me to forget the bread. Um, uh, But it's not like I did it alone. Um, You know, we're all traveling together. Got no bread. And they're going on like that. Right? Good grief. How could we forget the bread? How could it be? And when they're in the middle of that, when they're in the middle of that, that's when Jesus speaks to them, but they can't really hear him because they are so preoccupied. They are so drilled down on the fact that they have forgotten to bring the bread. Um, and so when he talks to them, he's just talking about what he thinks is important. And well, he's, he's way off right now because the real issue at hand is the fact that they have forgotten to bring the bread. But Jesus says, watch out, beware. Jesus, watch out, beware. Now this, if you're a disciple, you know, that kind of language from Jesus should should probably get your attention. And what they're supposed to be watching out for and being aware of is this. Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Um, in Matthew's parallel gospel, the leaven of the Pharisees, there is parallel leaven of the Pharisees, level of the Sadducees, which is really close to the parallel with Herod. Sadducees tended to be very secular in their outlook. Herod tended to be very secular in his outlook. The Pharisees, in both cases, tend to be very traditionally religious in their outlook. And so these are two opposite extremes, the Pharisees and Herod. And Jesus gives a warning of both simultaneously. Be careful, look out for the leaven, which is the teaching of the Pharisees and the teaching of the Sadducees, or the teaching, in Mark's case, of Herod. So what was the teaching of Herod? Herod's teaching was basically this in a nutshell. We live in the Roman Empire. If you're going to do a good job as a Jewish person in the Roman Empire, mark my words, you learn to go along to get along. A little compromise goes a long ways. You can sort of blend yourself in effectively to the Roman Empire like I did, and you can see I have a nice, cushy position within the Roman Empire, even though I'm Jewish. I'm a Jewish king, which is really an accomplishment in the Roman Empire. And so you guys, if you'll pick up on just a little common sense, you can get along in the empire like Herod and those who think like him. On the other hand, there is the Pharisees with their religious tradition. No compromise at all. They're very much opposed to 
fitting in, compromising with Rome or with anyone else. And by Jesus mentioning these two together, he, he warns us against a tendency that we have and that we live out with some regularity. Namely, the tendency, once we recognize an enemy of righteousness, then we are prone to think that if you locate that, then you can then run in the other direction as fast and as far as you would like to go. And you can't go too far, and you can't go too fast. But that's not true. That's not true. There's actually trouble on both sides. You know, I, mentioned the, I mentioned the lyric a number of weeks ago. I'd mention again here, right? It's the, it's the great wisdom of Steeler's wheel. As you go through life, you've got clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Uh, clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. With a righteous path in the middle. So you have to watch both flanks at once if you're going to be wise. And that's what Jesus is warning them about. You've got to watch out for the Pharisees and their teaching. You've got to watch out for Herod. In his teaching, um, now when they had forgotten the bread, and they had only one loaf, Jesus talks to them about this. And what did they do with it? What did they do with this word about the Pharisees and the Herod? Well, they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. In other words, they didn't listen to Jesus at all because they were zeroed in on this completely trivial matter of the fact that they had forgotten the bread. That's what we're like. That's what we're like. And it's it's a dangerous thing to be like that because... The world and the flesh and the devil never has and never will run out of trivial events for us to focus on. Um, Right? So right now, culturally speaking, Major League Baseball playoffs. Whoa. This is big stuff. You actually have a hard time getting more trivial than that. College football, same thing. NFL football, even. Same thing. And on and on, we could go. There's there's an unending number of things that we tend to focus all of our attention upon. So that when Jesus speaks to us, like the disciples... We say, oh, Jesus, very, very nice about the Pharisees and uh, Herod. But look, for crying out loud, don't you notice? We forgot the bread. We forgot the bread. That's what he responds to. That's what Jesus responds to. Beginning in verse 17. 
Be sure you understand the tendency of the hard heart. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? There's a little passive participle there. Are your hearts in a state of having been hardened? Hardened by what? A simple circumstance. Like having forgotten the bread. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. Do you not perceive and understand? Are your hearts having been hardened? Having eyes you don't see. Having ears you don't hear. So Jesus doesn't label this relatively trivial circumstance that they're focusing on as a small thing, but as a big thing. He says that the problem is hearts having been hardened. That is, this is an indication of a very fundamental problem. Um, He mentions something that's 20, 30, 40 times more important than whether or not they forgot the bread, and they can't even hear him. Why? Well, because uh, they focus on what they focus on, and they do that because they have hard hearts. And Jesus labels them as that, and then compares them, and then compares them to the people of God in the Old Testament. Um, They can't hear him, remember, because it's a momentous thing. They've forgotten bread. That's all they can think about. That's all they want to talk about. We have forgotten bread. Jesus labels that. Your hearts are hard. Your hearts are hard. Do you not perceive? Do you not understand? And the expectant answer to both of those questions is no. No, they don't. And now he compares them to the people of God in a really serious situation, Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah describes Israel at the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst of times. Because what Jeremiah warns them about that eventually takes place is, of course, that Nebuchadnezzar sweeps down from the north and he uh, destroys the nation as a whole and then he builds a siege around Jerusalem and he starves them out and then he goes in and slaughters most of the remnant and sends the rest of them into exile and he destroys the temple and everything in it. Uh, if, if you are um, uh, in the Abrahamic covenant, if you're in the Mosaic covenant, that's as bad as it gets. And that, that's the context. That's the context of the book of Jeremiah. 
And here's how he summarizes how the people got to that disaster. Um, Worship team read it, Jeremiah 5, 21. Hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but see not, and who have ears and hear not. Well, what don't they see and hear? Well, he tells them in verse 22. Jeremiah 5, 22. Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble before me? I place the sand as the boundary for the sea, a perpetual barrier that it cannot pass. Though the waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot pass over it. So what's their problem? They have no tendency to tremble before the word of the Lord. None. They don't really care about what he says, about much of anything. Though he has fixed everything in the world. Jeremiah refers back to Genesis chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together, he called the seas, and God saw that it was good. There's a little point right at the edge of the state of uh, Washington, the uh, northwest corner of the state of Washington, out on the peninsula. You can drive, you drive this little winding road out there, and then you park your car, and then you walk down, and it's all cliffs along there, cliffs and, and, and rocks. And the, uh, and the straight coming out uh, from... Uh, Puget Sound and all those places, but there's a strait that comes out, a large strait that comes out there and meets the uh, Pacific Ocean as it's, as it's coming in uh, and the currents, such that you look out, you, you're not at all tempted to say, man, it would be nice to go swimming in that water. Uh, no, the water is all, I mean, it's just like, roaring up and smashing against this and smashing against that. And I assume that it's mostly like that all the time. But here's Jeremiah's point. Uh, It's been several years since I've been there, but if you go back there, like, day after tomorrow, you'll go to the same park, you'll stand on the same rocks, and uh, you'll notice water's made no progress. The Lord stopped it. Right there. Continents aren't disappearing. Um, the Lord stops it. He stopped it a long time ago. And no matter how powerful that water seems, it doesn't ever overcome the land. Uh, for God decided it would be so. And when God decides something should be so, it is always just as he says 
which is why we ought to pay a great deal of attention to what he says. John Calvin, in commenting on the Jeremiah passage, wrote this. God shows here why he had said the people were foolish and without understanding. It was indeed a monstrous stupidity not to fear at the presence of God, since even inanimate elements obey his bidding, and he takes the sea as an example. For there's nothing more terrifying than a tempestuous sea. But the sea itself, which makes the stoutest sailors tremble, always, simply, quietly obeys God. But not us. But not us. Having eyes, we don't see. Having ears, we don't hear. And God speaks to us, and we very often say to him, as the disciples do here, yes, yes, very nice about the Pharisees and Herod. But we've forgotten bread. Okay? Thirdly, be diligent to learn to trust God from what he has shown you. Be diligent to learn to trust God from what he has shown you. Verse 18, having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, twelve. And the seven for the 4,000. How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not understand? Now they remember this because they not only saw it, they participated in it. And it had to be, it had to be an unbelievable experience. Because they're the ones, remember, they're the ones that hand Jesus the lunch. And then he does with it whatever he did with it, started breaking it into pieces, and they never stopped breaking. And they're, and they're the servants, so they just keep coming back and loading up baskets and taking it out to people. They participated in that. My guess is it took some hours. It took some hours. And then they fed all 5,000 people. And then they gathered up the 12 baskets. So he knows they haven't forgotten that. So why does he ask them? You remember that? Well, of course they remember that. Of course they remember that. That's why the follow-up question. But do you understand? In other words, did you learn anything that day? Did you learn anything that day? 
And I don't think he means this. In other words, he has not begun, like them, talking about the bread. He doesn't mean this. I fed 5,000 people with a boy's lunch. Surely I could take this one loaf and feed you guys. That's not what it means. It's not what he's talking about. It's not what they were supposed to learn. It's not at all what they were supposed to learn. What were they supposed to learn? It's Rodney Decker's question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who can take a boy's lunch and feed 5,000 people with it? Who can do that? And from their Old Testament background back in Mark 6, we were looking at, well, God, Yahweh, fed the children of Israel for 40 years that way. Yeah. Yeah. Do you understand that Jesus is Yahweh? He's God. As John put it, he's the one in the beginning with God. He was God. That's who he is. That's who he is. And what is requisite for a disciple who knows the answer to that question? Who is Jesus? You hang on his every word. When he speaks, you listen. When he announces something, whether you are already thinking about that or not, you Focus in on what he said and listen to it, which is precisely what they did not do. They did not do. And he used ominous words to them, remember. Beware, watch out. I'm about to point out some real dangers to you. Yeah, 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 right now we forgot the bread. We forgot the bread. We really are like that. And it's really deadly. It's what destroyed Israel in the ancient world. Foolish. They could not, they could not ever really take the word of God to heart, and give it weight with themselves. Listen to him. Worry about what he says to worry about. Love what he says to love. Care about what he says. And so our question is simply this. Do you understand who Jesus is? Do you? And far more important, the follow-up question, do you listen to him like you do? Do you listen to him like you do? Because if you don't, Jesus asks you this question. Don't you remember who I am? Don't you understand at all the implications of knowing that I am the King of kings and the Lord of lords, as we'll see in Sunday school in the next hour, that I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, 
don't you see the implications of knowing such things tie you to be the most careful sort of listeners to what I say? And most of the time for us, the answer is simply no. We're worried about politics. We're worried about sports. We're worried about this thing and that thing. And not all of them are trivial. Not everything in our lives is trivial. Some of it is really difficult, not easily pulled away from. But he picks the example that he picks because it is trivial. And focusing on the trivial... It's like a national pastime in America. And therefore, it tempts tempts us to make it a, a, a national pastime of Christians who live in America. Because that's who we are. So I challenge you to watch yourself When you read your Bible, don't just read it to get your reading done, which is what we also do. We read our Bible to get our reading done. I read my Bible every day. Why? So that I can say that I've read it every day. My preaching heroes, Martin Lloyd-Jones, said of church going in London, England in the 50s and 60s, most people... Go to church to come back home. Or, you put it this way, most people go to church to come back home on time. <laughs> you know. So the main thing when they go to church is, did the service end on time? Now, I know you don't feel that way or you'd have left a long time ago. Um, uh, so, um, but... Uh, he said, that, that, that's how it is. And it's the same. Most people read their Bible to get their Bible reading done. But that's a stupid reason to read the Bible. The reason to listen to the word of God is because of who Jesus is, who God is. And ultimate wisdom and ultimate hope are all tied to placing what we're preoccupied with on hold and to taking the word of God in Christ to heart and shaping our lives with it. That is what he's talking about here. So we watch the disciples fail to do it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Thank you for the opportunity that we do have to have access to your words. You warn us about things. Beware. Watch out. Walk this way, not that. Hear what the Spirit says. You call us to listen. The song says to trust and obey. Oh, Lord, may we increasingly become people who do just that. 
We ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen.